You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. You know, I was thinking in, uh, you know, I've been a senior pastor for 17 years, almost 18 years. No, almost 18 years. Yeah. And uh, of course, been involved in pulpit ministry for many, many years. And I don't know that I have ever taught a message specifically on Palm Sunday. I've always acknowledged it, of course, but uh, never really uh, looked at from the scriptures what exactly was going on on Palm Sunday, what was some of the purposes behind it. And, you know, I grew up like you probably in a church environment where the little kids were given the little palm branches and we were able to parade in and wave them before the Lord and all of that. And so that was a lot of our experience in my knowledge uh, as far as Palm Sunday is concerned. But how many of you know, I often say this, God doesn't do accidental. God doesn't do random. And so there was a purpose behind what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday. And so we're going to dive into that. And uh, in preparation for this Sunday, and of course, next Sunday being Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, uh, I was praying and and a scripture jumped out, and you know, I'm sure it's one you've never heard of before, but how about John 3.16? Anybody ever read John 3.16 before? Some of you probably have it memorized, but that's, this is the foundation scripture for our series. It's a little two-part series that we're going to do starting today and then next week as well called For God So Loved the world. So let's look at our foundation scripture to be on the screen for you or on your notes on the handout. And you can probably quote this with me, but I tell you what, let's read verses 16 and 17 together. So read with me. For God so loved the world. Are you reading with me? Okay. Read a little louder. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What an awesome truth. And, you know, really those two verses can summarize the entire gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because uh, God did and does love the world so much that he sent his only begotten son as a gift for each and every one of us and in order to save us and deliver us and to redeem us. And so, as I said, we're going to get in today and with it being Palm Sunday, we're going to look at some things regarding uh, why Palm Sunday happened, what was going on. You know, there was a, a spiritual aspect to it. It was more than Jesus just riding in on a donkey and, and everybody waving palm branches. So what we have to do in studying this is we have to go back a few years, uh, three years prior to what we consider Palm Sunday. And I want us to look at something that happened when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And so let's look at something that John the Baptist said about the Lord in John chapter 1 and verse 29. John said this, and this is on your notes. It says that when Jesus came to be baptized, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who took, takes away the sin 
of the world. Now, um, what have I told you behold means? Looky here. Okay. Again, y'all are saying it like Kathy would from Minnesota. Looky here, you guys. Okay. No, if you're from the country, what is it? Looky here. Okay. All right. So <laughs> just a little joke. But anyway, I want, to, I want to dive into this just for a second. Notice what John said. Behold the Lamb of God. The word behold there in the Greek language doesn't mean just look upon him with your natural eyes. What it really means is study, look closely, and examine the Lamb of God. And so he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then if you drop down a few verses there in chapter 1, he says it again. And again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So again, he wasn't telling his own disciples to put their eyes upon the Lord Jesus, to physically look at him. He was asking them or telling them to look upon him closely. We would say a synonym for that would be to examine him. Can you say the word examine, please? Okay, so what we see is that Jesus presented himself at the beginning of his earthly ministry to be baptized by John. And so he came to be examined by the people. Now, what did John call him? The, say it together, the, the Lamb of God. So the Lamb of God presented himself to be looked at or closely examined and so what happened is over the next three years, Jesus was closely examined by the people. And so this all culminated, and in, in when we fast forward to what we call Palm Sunday, this was the beginning of the last full week of Jesus' ministry and his life on the earth. And so what we have here is that uh, his, the, the people had been examining him for three years in ministry. And so now he instructs his disciples to go and to find the colt for him to ride on so that he can ride into the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you are a student of, of, of the New Testament, particularly the four gospels, you'll know that several times in his ministry, Jesus stopped the disciples and he said, hey, look, guys, we're going to be going to Jerusalem and here's what's going to happen. They're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. I counted it up one time. He said this to them at least six times. Now, what's interesting is it, it kind of went in one ear and out the other where the disciples are concerned, but Jesus was giving them some insight as to what was getting ready to happen. So now they have journeyed to Jerusalem. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 21. I want to read verses 1 through 11 there, which talk about what happened on Palm Sunday. So verse 1, so when they drew near, Jerus uh, near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he, or the owner of the, the colt, will send them. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes, their outer garments on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now I want to back up and look at the verse that's quoted in Matthew 21 from Zechariah chapter nine in verse nine, where Zechariah prophesied and said that this was going to happen. So in Zechariah 9, 9, uh, the spirit of the Lord moved upon Zechariah and he said this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. And then here's what was quoted in Matthew 21. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we see here that what Jesus did in his actions fulfilled something that the Holy Spirit prophesied or spoke through the prophet Zechariah and he laid the groundwork for what was going to happen. So this was one, whether we realize it or not, one of the most dramatic events in the history of the Lord Jesus, probably next to the, the events that led up to the crucifixion. Now when this happened, just to give you a little groundwork, is the month of Abib in Hebrew, and it's equivalent to our month of April, somewhere thereabouts. And Jesus did this on the 10th day of Abib. Now, this was very, very important because, again, what did John the Baptist call Jesus? Said that he was the, he was the Lamb of God. All right, now this is very significant, the timing that Jesus did this. So, Jesus has come to the last three days of his earthly ministry. So this was sometime around the first of the week. And if you'll recall in Jesus' ministry, he did not really allow anybody to declare who he was. Think about that with me. You know, if he would minister healing to someone, most everybody, he would tell them, don't go tell anybody you know, I remember the, the leper that was healed. He uh, healed him and then found in Matthew chapter 8, and he told the, the leper, he said, now that you're healed, go show the priest, do what you need to do according to the old law, but don't really broadcast this. Don't really tell it. There was only one incident, and you might recall this, where Jesus traveled to the other side of the the Sea of Galilee and ministered to what we know as the Gadarene demoniac and cast the spirits out of that man. And he told that man to go and proclaim the good things that, that the Lord had done for him. So that was the one case where Jesus allowed somebody to go forth and declare that he was the Messiah. 
But most every time he told people, do not tell people who I am. Matter of fact, you know, if he was ministering to someone who was demon possessed, you remember the demons would very often cry out, we know who you are. You're the son of God, the, the anointed one, the Messiah. And what would Jesus tell him to do? Be quiet. Why is that? Because he was not ready to proclaim who he was. Why? His time had not yet come. Now, again, you, you know, I've talked talk to you about this before, but you need to realize that when Jesus ministered in the earth, particularly uh, the miracles that he performed, he ministered as a man anointed by God under the old covenant. And so as he ministered and he performed these miracles and things that he did, he did not do those as the son of God, the divine son of God. He set all of that divinity aside, but this is the first time in his life, his earthly life, that he allowed the people to declare who he was. So he, he's on the, the donkey and he comes riding into town and all of a sudden he allows the people to begin to declare Hosanna and, and declare that he is the son of David, the king of Jew, the Jews, and begin to declare what his destiny was. Now this is very, very significant because not once did Jesus stop them and keep them from declaring this. Why? Because his time had come. Do you remember when Jesus and the disciples went to the wedding at Cana? You remember they ran out of wine and his mom came to him and said, hey, they've run out of wine. You remember Jesus' response, my paraphrasation, but you know, mom, what, what does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And so at the, all through these three years of Jesus' ministry, his time to pronounce and be declared as the Messiah had not yet come. But on this day, the 10th day of Abib, he comes riding into town and allows the people to declare who he was as the Messiah. So here's what I want you to write down on your, your notes. Take this down. On the day of his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus' time had come. Now, one thing that we always need to remember, especially, you know, at Christmas time, when we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, you know, Jesus did not come into the earth to be born. He came into the earth to die. And so this was the appointment that he knew that he had in front of him that one day he was ultimately going to fulfill. And so again, for three years, he had worked himself all through the countryside, ministering to the people. He had performed signs, wonders, and miracles and fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures concerning his life and ministry. But he now presented himself to the multitudes for the first time as the Messiah and the Redeemer. But he was in town to be seen by the crowds and examined before crucifixion. Now, this is very, very important, all right? And I'm going to bring this together, these details, all right? <clears throat> you know, if you have ever been a part of one of our Bible studies, or I mention this sometimes on Sunday mornings, what do I tell you to do in, when you're studying the Scriptures? Pay attention to the There you go. You guys are smart. All right. Now, when, according to the Old Testament law, when the Passover time was approaching which this is what this is. 
Abib is the time when the Passover is happening in Jewish custom. And, uh, you know, if you're familiar with the Passover, it's a reflection on what God did for them to deliver them out of Egypt. And the instructions that were given to Moses and in turn were passed down from generation to generation were this, that the people had to take a lamb and it had to be perfect, it had to be spotless, no blemish whatsoever, no fault, no illness, no handicap, nothing, no, nothing about it was wrong. And the purpose of this lamb was to be sacrificed to spare the family and to deliver them by the blood so that the, uh, the, the judgment of God that was being poured out on Egypt would pass over their homes, hence the name Passover. Now, as part of this process, the lambs had to be examined. So again, let's back up. What did John the Baptist say? He said, behold, examine, look at, and what did he call Jesus? The So Jesus paraded into town on the 10th day of Abib so that the priesthood could examine him for three days. This was according to the Old Testament law. So write this down, please. Before a lamb could be sacrificed, it had to be examined. The priest had to examine the lamb to okay it to be used for sacrifice. Now, just a little side note. I've mentioned this before, but uh, you do know Jesus was not born on December 25th. Okay, we talked about that. Please don't throw out all your Christmas stuff, though. All right, it's okay to celebrate it in December. But there are many clues that tell us that Jesus was not born in December. One of the greatest ones was this, that there was shepherds out in the fields outside of Bethlehem tending their flocks, okay? Now, uh, one thing, that we need to keep in mind is notice that they were tending their flocks outside. Remember the angels appeared to him and so forth. Well, if it's in the middle of winter time in Israel, you know, they get snow in Israel, just like we do here. Uh, But if it's in the middle of winter time, they're not going to be outside tending their flocks. They're going to have their sheep huddled up into caves and things like that. And uh, so we know that it was a warmer time of year. But we also know this, that prior to the Passover feast and when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed for the atonement, that thousands of sheep would be gathered so that the priest could come and examine them so that they could be offered. Because by this time, you've got to understand there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish people that are living in or around Jerusalem. So so think about this with me. On the day of Passover, one lamb for every household. So there were thousands of lambs that were sacrificed on that one day. And so the reason that the shepherds were out tending their flocks was they were in preparation for the priest to be able to come and examine them. That was free. That won't cost you anything, just a little bit of information. But when the priest would go out to inspect the lambs, no imperfections were allowed. So they, if a family had gathered up 
a lamb or there were a group of lambs that were to be offered, the priest would come and examine and make sure that there were no imperfections. The lamb had to be perfect and spotless to be qualified for a sacrifice for sins. This process took three days. Let me show you. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, the Lord gave these instructions through Moses, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, which is Abib that we're talking about, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Then drop down in verses five and six in that same chapter, and it says this, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Now these were the instructions. So, so track with me here. On the 10th day, we'll just say April so we can kind of identify with it. So on the 10th day of April, the selection of the lambs would begin, the examination would take place, and then uh, as the, the herds were gone through so that these lambs could be picked out, the actual sacrifice would take place on the 14th of April, or Abib. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So everyone took a lamb, good men, bad men, rich men, poor men, large families, and small families. Each family had to find the best lamb possible. And the family would construct a little pen and they would put this lamb in the pen so that they could examine it, watch it for three days. Then the sacrifice was brought to the priest where it was examined again. The owner had watched the sheep for three days and found no blemish. The priest gave the final examination and approval for the lamb to be used for a sin offering. Now let's fast forward. Let's talk about what was Jesus doing this last week. So he arrives, he comes riding into town on the 10th day of Abib. He rides into town and every day for three days, Jesus rides in or comes into Jerusalem he, you remember one day he went in and uh, drove the people out of the, the money changers, out of the temple. Another day he came in. And so he did this for a period of three days. He would come into town, he and the disciples. They would do whatever he had planned to do. And then they would go back out of town, spend the night. And then they would come back into town the next day. And they repeated this process until Jesus received the Passover meal with his disciples. Okay, so Jesus came into the world to die. That's what John 3.16 says. And here's what I want to show you is that Jesus came into the world to be examined by his Father first of all. Now, if you'll recall with me, we won't turn there for the sake of time. Jesus shows up to be baptized by John the Baptist at 30 years old. And the Bible says that when he was baptized and he came up out of the water, the, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, said this, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So for 30 years, Jesus had been living his life in a way that pleased God. And on the first day of his ministry that he's beginning to launch out, God shows up and signs off and says, I have examined him and he is ready and I approve. Amen. So all this took place. And so write this down, please. Jesus was examined by God and in turn approved for sacrifice. So of course, God knew what the plan was. God knew what the plan of redemption had been all along. So he knew Jesus was eventually going to end up in this place some three years later after his ministry. So he was examined by God and approved. But then on this 10th day, he rides into town and begins the examination process of not only the people, but of the priests. And so then we find himself being fast forward and we'll pick up and talk about this more next week as far as what actually transpired in his sacrifice but the thing that I want you to see is, is that there was a reason that God had to sign off on the Lord Jesus. The priest had to uh, recognize or in symbolic ways recognize that Jesus was approved for the sacrifice. And so why did this have to happen this way? Why did the, the what we call Palm Sunday have to be Transpired. Why did it have to take place this way? Because there was a plan all along. All right, now, look at with me at Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 21. The Lord tells the people of Israel this, but if there is, talking about the sacrifice, a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So write this down with me, please. An offering with any blemish at all was forbidden by God. So we know that Jesus has already been pre-approved. So God has signed off on him uh, to be the sacrifice. Now, it should not only, if, if it has a blemish, okay, it should not only be something that God would reject, but it ought to be something that the one who is offering the sacrifice would reject as well. So if you had gone out as the head of your household and chosen a lamb, and all of a sudden it was revealed to you that the lamb had some type of defect, you had to reject the lamb, and if you continued to move through with the process to offer that lamb, it would be rejected by the Lord. Now, here's why this was so important. Why you as the person that was presenting the lamb to the Lord to be sacrificed had to be perfect. Write down this, please. The offering represented what the person wanted to become. Now remember, the lamb had to be spotless, perfect, and without blemish. So it, you picked out that lamb to be sacrificed 
because this is what you needed and wanted to become. You needed in God's eyes to become spotless, perfect, and without blemish. Now track with me, okay? Why did this have to happen? Did the person with the offering want to be sick? No. Then why would a person offer a sick sacrifice? Did the person want to be lame or blind? No. Then why would they offer a lame or blind sacrifice? The sacrifice had to be perfect, without blemish, and without any fault whatsoever. All right? Now listen. Pay attention with me. Now write this down, please. Jesus was not only a perfect sacrifice for God, but he was a perfect sacrifice for us. Remember, Jesus was the lamb or is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that we will gather one day and we will all fall down before him and declare, worthy is the lamb that was slain and that uh, he was found to be without blemish or spot. He was perfect in every single way. You and I needed him to be that way because that is what you and I needed to become. Okay? Now listen to me carefully. Jesus is everything we desire to be. He's spotless with regards to sin, sickness, so that we can be whole, spirit, soul, and body. Only a spotless animal could take the sins of the congregation. Only a spotless redeemer could take the sins and iniquities of the world. Thank God Jesus met the criteria. Now, Jesus in every way is better than an earthly lamb. Okay? Listen, let's go over and let's read Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 in the Passion Translation. It says this, under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer were sprinkled on those who were defiled and effectively cleansed them outwardly from their ceremonial impurities. Talking about the Old Testament. Verse 14, yet how much more will the sacred blood of the Messiah thoroughly cleanse our consciences? For by the power of the eternal spirit, he has offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice and now frees us from our dead works to worship and serve the living God. Now, again, let's walk through this process. Jesus comes riding into town on the 10th day. He goes in and out of town every day for three days. On the 14th of that month, is when the law said that the sacrificial lamb had to be offered. Well, we know what happened on the 14th, the night of the 14th. Jesus and his disciples gathered together to receive the Passover meal together. They celebrated what had transpired under the old covenant. As soon as they did that, they left the upper room, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, knowing what he was getting ready to have to accomplish, 
The Bible says that he was heavy, that he, it, it wasn't depression like you and I know, it was a heaviness of the burden of knowing that he was getting ready to tap, have to take upon himself the sin of the entire world, but worse than that, for the first time in his eternal existence, he was going to have to be separated from his heavenly father. And so he goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he prays three times, Father, if there is any way that this cup can pass for, from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And as you know, they came and arrested him in the garden. He went and he was taken before the priest for his final examination. And what did they do? They found him guilty of things he had not committed, but they demanded his death so that he could pay the price for us. And as you know, he was sacrificed. He was crucified the next day on the cross. Now, I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. While Jesus is being beaten and scourged by the Roman soldiers, and then he was forced to carry the cross beam of the cross that he was to die on through the streets of Jerusalem. In another part of the city, there were thousands of lambs that were having their throats slit, the blood drained out, and it was being poured out in the temple. Then the sacrifices were being offered up before God. So all of that, can you imagine the bleeding of thousands, B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G, of thousands of lambs who were meeting their demise on that day on the Passover uh, sacrifice at the same time that Jesus was facing death outside of the city on the cross, paying the price for each and every one of us. I want you to understand something that Palm Sunday is not just a means where Jesus, for the first time in his life, rides into town on a donkey. No, it began the process that was going to culminate four and a half days later of his death, his burial, and then three days after that, his glorious resurrection. But the thing that I want us to see today is this. Write this down, please. That Jesus was the perfect sacrifice and he put an end to all sacrifices. Aren't you glad that this week all of us don't have to get on a plane and fly to Jerusalem and go and purchase a lamb that is spotless and perfect and so that we could present that lamb for our household for, to meet the obligation of the Passover commitment no, because of what Jesus did for us some 2,000 years ago, that obligation was met, it was fulfilled, and it was completed once and for all. So Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he put an end to all of those sacrifices. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, why? Why did all this have to happen? Why did it have to transpire this way? I want to take you back to what I just said a few moments ago, and that is this. When that family offered up that spotless, blemish-free, perfect lamb, it was because that lamb represented what they wanted to be, what they needed to be. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. And so, let me paint a picture in your mind. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was examined by his father for 30 years, examined by the people that he ministered to for three years. He was announced to be without spot or blemish. He fulfilled the type of the Old Testament lamb offered by the priest And examining the sacrifice for three days, the person brought the sacrifice to the priest to be examined. The person examined the sacrifice. The priest signed off on the sacrifice. And then here's the thing that I want you to see. Get this, please. And that is this. The priest did not examine the person. The priest examined the sacrifice. Okay? Now remember that. I'm going to say that again because I want that to stick in your thinking. The priest was not there to examine the person. The priest didn't look at that person and say, well, I know what you do during the week. I know what kind of life you live. I know what kind of past you've got. You don't qualify to offer this lamb. And the priest might have known that that information, but the priest was forbidden and could not examine and judge the person The only thing the priest could do was examine and judge the sacrifice. Now, so the priest did not examine the person. Now, here's what I want you to see. When you and I come to God and we have never received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we, of course, Jesus doesn't come back down to the earth live his life again, go to the cross and pay that awful price for us again. No, the price was paid, the Bible says, once and for all. But when you and I approach the Father and we say, you know what, I need a Savior. I need to be born again. I need to be redeemed. Then what happens is if we come to God with that hard attitude of repentance He does not examine you. He examines the sacrifice. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. When you as a believer, as a child of God, now I don't know about you, but I miss it occasionally. I know all of y'all are perfect. Please pray for your pastor, okay? But (laughs) I'm just kidding. All right. No, here's, we all miss it. We don't aim to, and, you know, we're living this life so that we can miss it more or less and less, rather. But here's the thing that I want you to see. Even as a believer, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we go to the Father when we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
So just the same way that you as a sinner approached God, he doesn't examine and judge you as the sinner. He examined and judged the sacrifice and allowed you to become what the sacrifice was meant to make you become. The same way that you as a believer, when you sin and you go to the Father and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, I have sinned, I confess it to you right now in the name of Jesus, God doesn't go, mm hmm see, I knew it. You're a loser. You're just a mess. You, I, you know, I don't even know why I fool with you. No, what Jesus does is he, or excuse me, what the Father does is he examines the sacrifice, even though it was made some 2,000 years ago, that blood in heaven is still crying out and saying the sacrifice that was paid for them is greater than the sin that they committed. And God examines the sacrifice and is able to forgive you. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know if y'all are ready for this last thing, but I'm going to trust that you are. All right? So here's what happens. Because Jesus was our lamb. What did John the Baptist call him? Behold, the he was the lamb offered and sacrificed for the world. He was spotless, perfect, and without blemish whatsoever. All right? Now, here's what I want you to see, and I want you to get this. If you don't hear anything else that I have said in this message up to this point, get this last thing I want you to write down, and that is this. God declares Jesus to be spotless. Then he declares us, the one seeking forgiveness, to be spotless, without blemish, and perfect in his eyes the same way. So just like, and by the way, they had to do this every year, just like under the old covenant, that family, by the blood that that lamb offered and presented for them, could be clean and holy before God for that time period. Thank God you and I, because the sacrifice that was made for us once and for all, stand before the Heavenly Father when we have been born again or when we go to him and we confess our sins, the Bible says that just as Jesus was perfect and spotless and without blemish, we stand before the Father perfect and spotless and without blemish. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus was and is the complete sacrifice. He paid the price. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and um, I've mentioned this to you before, but you know the payment that Jesus made for our sin? You know, there's an old song that says he paid a, uh, a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone who could wash my sins away. You know, Jesus paid that debt for us. And in God's heart and mind, when we come to him, that debt is wiped away. It's gone. And there's two things that 
bring me great joy in thinking about this, and that is this. Not only are we forgiven here, and we're clean here as we live in the earth, but I want you to understand something. When you go to heaven, how many of you have ever had it presented to you that when we go to heaven, there's going to be this long line, and we're all going to stand there, and there's going to be a screen that makes these screens look puny, and all of a sudden, your whole past is going to be shown on that screen. Everything that you ever did, everything that you ever said, all of that's going to be shown. And, and then, you know, you're going to have to give an account. Anybody ever heard that before? Okay. There's nothing further from the truth. Because if that is necessary, then what Jesus did on the cross was useless. Now, there is a... a an accounting, if you will, a judgment that believers will go through, but it was, it's only to determine rewards, not guilt for sin. So here's the good news, okay? And this is one of the wonderful things about the gospel, that when you receive Christ and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin, your past is gone forever, never to be brought up again. Once and for all. It's washed away. It's done. God is never going to bring it up. The angels aren't going to bring it up. Jesus certainly isn't going to bring it up. So I want to ask you a question. If that debt was paid and paid completely, why do you keep trying to send payments in to pay on that debt? Let's say I came and let's say you had a car payment. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pay your car payment off. I'm going to pay your car off. Now, I'm not going to do that. All right, just FYI. All right, this illustration. But let's say I did that and I paid your car off. What kind of person would you be if you said, no, I insist. I got to keep writing a check and sending it in to the people that finance the car. I just got to keep doing that. Because I'm not quite sure that it's been paid off. Even though you have the title in your hand and you have a letter from the company saying it was paid off. What am I saying? That in our lives as believers, I want you to understand something. You ought to read the Bible. You ought to pray. You ought to come to church. You ought to do all of those things. But none of those things are payment for sin. The sin has already been paid for. The price has already been paid. Quit trying to pay something that has been paid off. All right? Because God looks at you now as though you are that blemish-free, spotless, perfect lamb because of the sacrifice that was made for you and for me. Do you receive that today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us. I thank you, Lord, that the price was complete. The, pen, the payment was complete. And that he cleansed us once and for all. And that we stand in your presence clean and holy as though sin never existed in our lives. That's what righteousness is all about. 
Father, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for the price that you paid. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did in your entire life. But Lord, thank you for riding into town one day on those days leading up to when you would be offered for us. Thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for the mockery, the beatings, everything that you endured for you, for me, and for each and every one of us. Thank you for all that you did in paying that price. Lord, I thank you that the good news is that's not the end of the story. I thank you that as we will celebrate next week, Lord, I thank you that, yes, you did die. Yes, you were buried. But hallelujah, you got up again. You were raised from the dead, and now you're seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, declaring what you did and the price that you paid for each and every one of us. And we thank you for that. I praise you for that. Father, I thank you for every single person here under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, that the truths of what we've talked about today will resonate and, and become deep within our hearts, Father, and that we'll walk in the fullness of that. And we love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.